0: Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Titan Radio with Chris Peralta and Rory Anton. On this week's show we'll be talking about the key metrics used by athletes and coaches when wearing GPS sensors. We'll also discuss in detail these key metrics and what we're looking for throughout games and practices. How are you today then Chris? I'm good, how are you Rory? Good, good, I, I can't complain. I can complain, it's raining a lot in Houston right now. Yeah, that's that's very true. You're I
1: from like, Scotland. Here, yeah, sure. I'm,
0: I'm kind of used to it. It doesn't really get me down anymore. How you feeling about the Rangers game? Uh, good result, yeah, good result. Um, obviously in Europe, uh, Celtic got a good result for Scotland as well,
1: so it's looking on the up for Scottish football. Can't complain. It's good. Let's. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad we got the first episode out of the way. I felt like it was a, a bit awkward. Yeah. Um... You were like, "Hello and welcome." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, a little bit robotic to start with, but hopefully we'll uh, we'll settle into it this week. At least we got started.
1: So yeah, that matters.
0: We got it out of the way. That's uh, that's the main thing. It's taken us a little while to get the second one too. Sure, we'll get into a rhythm shortly.
1: So, as we mentioned, we'll be uh, talking about just different topics, uh, current events in GPS. Talk about um, different, you know, type of ways. Uh, people in teams use them because they're different roles obviously in different teams you know some college programs they don't have a sports scientist right so some of them it's a graduate assistant maybe or some of them it's it's an assistant coach Um, and others there's obviously a more robust type of uh, team there's a bigger department that uses it so we'll be getting uh, different types of feedback from different I guess people uh, roles in sport um, so hopefully that'll be next week. We have our first caller, so super excited about that.
0: Yeah, I think I think once we get into kind of the coaches' background, I th- I'm sure people will probably be fed up of our voices even by week two. So uh, I think having people call in will be be a huge asset to us, and really looking forward to kind of people's feedbacks, what they want, um, you know, on the podcast, and and what they are kind of looking for from us. Um, so kind of leading on from that, Chris. Um, kind of break down what what in your discussions with coaches what have kind of been the maybe the the key metric um for
1: the majority of coaches or like you said people in other roles yeah so I work with obviously a lot of the South American teams um college programs as well um and for the most part everyone kind of does the or, or kind of focuses on the five uh, five specific between five to seven metrics so Typically, it's you uh, usually an acceleration um, impacts uh, sprints uh, and/or kind of high-speed uh, runs, uh, distance covered, and then uh, the most important one, training load, right? Because I think training load is kind of the metric that started off the GPS space to be able to kind of track that um, on a daily, weekly basis.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of been a hot topic right now, right? With uh, load management, Kawhi sitting out second game of the season. Um, and so I'm uh, interested to see your kind of take on that. And, and you know, it's a current, current event, current uh, topic for us. Um, so definitely very relevant to our time.
1: Yeah, I think um, there's kind of uh, two different ways to look at it. Uh, look at it from kind of the spectator point of view. Um, and maybe the owner point of view, like Michael Jordan said, he said, uh, you know, if I'm paying my players for 82 games, I expect them to play in 82 games. Uh, but there's also the, the view of the, the team doctor or maybe the team physio being more conscious about, okay, is it more important for them to kind of be fit and play in the first 40, 50 games of the season? Or do you want them in, in tip-top shape for, for playoffs? Um, so me, obviously, if I'm a spectator, if I'm paying... You know if, if I go to a Rockets game to see LeBron and I pay $300 for my tickets, which uh, I'd want to see LeBron, right? Yeah. But um, obviously, for low management purposes, maybe he sits out the game. Um, so I don't know, it's, it's kind of you know working in, in the GPS point of it and working in the just athlete monitoring side business of it. Um, I see I see both sides. What about you?
0: Yeah, obviously, um, I think it's it's definitely an interesting thing, him sitting out already. I think he's obviously a player that comes under a lot of criticisms um, with injuries, and obviously we had that year at the Spurs, right, where there was a lot of arguments and, and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, I totally agree. I think I, I want to see players competing at their best against the best, and I think, you know, that's playoff basketball. Uh, and at the end of the day, if he needs to sit out a couple of games now to be fresh then... Um, by all means, um, but I just, I'm, I think it also uh, has become a little bit of a catchphrase for some NBA guys to like, you know, maybe uh, maybe it's one that he, he's circled out that he doesn't see as a key game and, you know, it, it comes down to that sometimes instead of actually the,
1: the ins and outs and the sports science behind it. So you coach at the collegiate uh, level, right? Basketball. Um, you obviously have a big network, uh, in, in that area as well. What have, uh, you've been hearing, or what? What is your opinion on it? Um, in terms of when you were at, uh, at coaching in your at your college, or, or maybe some colleagues of yours, like what? What's their opinion on it?
0: Yeah, obviously I was at, uh fortunate enough to be at Houston Baptist the last couple of years. Um, shout out to them; they got their first win the other night. Um, so, uh yeah in our experience you know we had players that maybe struggled with knee issues and could maybe only go once or twice a week and um you know maybe there was only so much they could take um loading throughout the week and you know there's even it even comes to a situation where you know game one in the week is more important than game two and obviously that's more of a thing at professional level you obviously target those uh in-conference games and, and whatnot so I think in basketball especially, it's it's about knowing your players, listening to them. Um, obviously with GPS now, we can off, also um, quantify those numbers and we can kind of see, you know, have a better understanding of our players and just know when the time is right for them to maybe sit out a practice session so that they're fresh for the game at the weekend or, you know, maybe play limited minutes in a game where we're up 20 points um, because you know, next next game on, on the schedule is going to be a tough one and we need them at their best. Um, and, you know, that can even be simple things like, you know, in soccer, uh, you know, players only being a part of the shaping drills in a Friday session before a Saturday game because, you know, maybe they're struggling with injury. Um, they've, they've put too much in their legs already that week in terms of load. and uh, Maybe it's just time for them to kind of, you know, taper it back and just only... You know, be involved in the tactical session um, in that game, so that it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit less for them to take on on that
1: Friday session. So interestingly enough, I just found this article and it talks about. Um, I didn't know this actually, but the NBA prohibits teams from resting healthy players in high-profile, nationally televised games, and can levy a hundred thousand dollar fine against teams who break the rule. Um, did not know that, but apparently. Um, enforcing that rule has been pretty hard for them lately and even just since since 2017 which is a rule was instituted um, do you think it will ever be uh, you know I guess easier for the NBA to police this rule or do you think just the way that the sports science field is changing it's only kind of just going against them more
0: um, I know I kind of mentioned it in the last podcast and since the Rugby World Cup's kind of over now but um, I think rugby do a great you know the world uh, the International Rugby Board, sorry, do a great job of policing it. Um, and they've now said that, you know, everyone must have a load management strategy in place. Um, and I think that's how you kind of combat that, you know, like these guys have to be, you know, kind of healthy for the majority of what, an 82 game season, you know, I think there has to be an implementation from, you know, NBA conferences, uh, you know, like governing bodies i guess uh to say like you have to have a load management strategy in place uh, so that you can track it um and also so that you can kind of make sure that players are ready for those big games right you know lakers clippers this year is going to be a huge game i'm sure the nba don't want lebron james sitting out in that so they they probably want them to be ready to go for that game as probably the teams you know want their best players to be going because that's going to be a huge game
1: for them you know right and I think it's also kind of taken into consideration the season right how long the season is how short the season is obviously baseball has tons of games the the NBA has what like 82 regular Mm -hmm. season games Uh, it's a little bit different than college football right especially with rankings especially with kind of the pressure to kind of you know beating you know obviously big game this weekend number one versus number two LSU Alabama you know Tua is injured at the moment right um, but you fully expect him to play if, if you're Alabama or even if you're LSU right so it's like kind of that that decision between okay will he help us uh, essentially put us into the college football playoff kind of deal or you know it, can we risk resting him, right? And it also goes into kind of how deep you are as a team at the quarterback or whatever receiver or whatever position, right, uh, is missing. But um, yeah, really interesting stuff and we'll see how this kind of folds out, especially uh, with the NBA uh, taking into consideration that rule.
0: Yeah, definitely I think it will be a, a big one for, for the kind of next season or so for them to implement strategies to, to kind of monitor that. Um, so moving on from kind of uh, GPS session loads, um, let's go ahead and uh, speak a little bit on acceleration deceleration. Um, so Chris, what are, you know, obviously you coach, uh, obviously you coach um, weekends and stuff. What's your kind of take on acceleration deceleration um, and its kind of impact in team sports?
1: Yeah, so I think um, a few ways. I think it's it's a you can tailor um for example um taking into account uh goalkeepers uh center backs um so obviously they won't they won't have the most distance coverage in a game they might not even have the most sprints in a game um but it doesn't mean that they'll have they won't have a high training load and so for example uh, it's really uh, essential how quickly a, a center back can close down on a center forward on a winger um, and so that's i think what kind of can take into consideration when when considering excel d cell no different than a goalkeeper, and specifically for a goalkeeper, because if you're if you're coaching one v one, something a specific topic, right? Uh, cutting off the angle, how quickly can you get off your line? Um, it's really important, uh, really really important. And now, as, as you know, that you know that half second, that second that you can save, it it makes a massive difference. Um, and, and it's what really like a lot of a lot of goalkeepers even train right um I'm not sure how often it's trained but I know it's it's definitely I mean how many how many 1v ones do you think happen in a game 1v ones in a game yeah. I mean it depend on the level really uh, I don't know maybe six or so for like for both sides probably right so like and two I mean, or three a team exactly and and being able to you know a really good team and a really good side. They need one chance to warn you. Yeah, simple as that. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So kind of touching on acceleration, deceleration. I think a lot of the time, um, you know, people talk about uh, acceleration is kind of you know the main thing. Um, deceleration is hugely important. Uh, I think coaches can really dive in and get a better idea of their player profile um, and honestly like the the injury prevention side of deceleration is huge um so you know talking with strength coaches they train a lot on like landing metrics right and it's no different for deceleration because um, you got to train basically people to get their foot pattern right you know take the right amount of steps get their posture right to kind of slow themselves without putting their body at risk of injury um And I think that's something that's massively overlooked as well is, you know, everyone wants to be faster, stronger, better. You know, like how efficient can you be? Like if I get beat one on one by someone and it's just purely because I, you know, have sprinted straight, let's say in soccer, I sprint as a left back, I've sprinted out to the right midfielder and he's just blown by me. That's deceleration, right? Not everything, not every movement is going to be benefited by being like extremely quick, extremely fast off the mark and going back to your goalkeeper kind of example is like yeah you want to be quick off the line but like you don't want to you know sprint out and leave yourself in no man's land right like kind of sprint out to a certain extent get your feet set and you know decelerate to a stop and and keep your feet active ready to kind of make that save.
1: yeah definitely uh what's the next metric we have on the list
0: uh let's go
1: with distance covered distance covered um, so with distance covered um, i feel like just from the football perspective uh, or soccer um, from the coaching side i would say preparing players during the week to uh, be able to perform at the level that you need them to on the weekend um, and so, I kind of alluded to this in the first podcast, but it's you know if if you're a team that plays three in the back, for example, um, your wingers will be covering a lot of distance. Obviously, if they're tracking back correctly, um, so what you do during the week to prepare them to perform at that that level um, and at that uh, intensity will will matter, and and it will affect them greatly in their performance, right? Um, so I think that is very important to kind of consider. Um, from i would say the positional stance even if you want to compare let's say you you have two number 10s that are really good on your team attacking midfielders uh, being able to compare what each one does um, and obviously you know you always have to pair the performance uh you know what they do on the ball as well as what they do without the ball but um, it, it's very interesting to see kind of those stats and being able to compare, you know, your top two performers or who's outperforming who and kind of does their performance correlate with kind of their numbers, right? And yeah. so that's always interesting to see. Um it's uh, I'd love to see Messi stats uh, cuz if you, if you look, if you look at him when he's not on the ball, he's walking the whole time. Yeah. But when he is on the ball, it's like he's he's passing ex- yeah. like a train.
0: Yeah. And exactly. I kind of had this uh, conversation the other day with someone at, you know, Messi's kind of heat map would be another one that would be interesting to see because he's almost you know current constantly moving like it'd be hard to kind of get a full red dot i think for him because um, he's like you know so lateral laterally quick you know going side to side with the ball and uh, getting by players and then you have people like Cristiano Ronaldo right who's just like a straight line like beast um, just hugs the, hugs hugs the wing the, yeah hugs you know old school old school winger like <laughs> go, go and be friends with a touchline the whole game so uh no it's definitely interesting to see how how those kind of differ um in terms of you know distance covered what are kind of the i guess the rule of thumbs or anything that you've heard you know we talked about a little bit into loading and i think distance covered sometimes comes into that right um people kind of get caught up in in tracking the distance covered throughout the week in training sessions versus game and and that kind of stuff. What are the kind of rule of thumb for you or as a
1: coach or, you know, maybe some sports science things you've heard before. I wouldn't necessarily say um, I've heard like a rule of thumb for distance covered specifically, but I will say it's. Um, like like I alluded to earlier, don't base their distance covered off of how much they're working, right? Because it's again going back to, um, are they playing way out of position, right? Or are they getting dragged out to somewhere that they don't need to be, um, and so that that could have a lot to do with why, you know, they ran the most miles or kilometers in, in the full team. Um, I think for the most part, it's like I, like I mentioned earlier, preparing them to, to compete, right? So putting them in the in the positions, running the right sessions during the week to say, okay, um, this is how much I want you high up the field, um, and, and you'll need to be able to practice that, be able to... Execute that on the weekend putting him in those positions. Um, I think that's the most important one Um, And and again kind of just because uh, they don't have the highest and distance covered doesn't mean that they necessarily You know, they could have four assists and two goals in that game doesn't necessarily mean that they were the laziest right, but again uh, All depends on your system kind of how you play and how you're preparing uh, Your team during the week right and with with our team currently,
0: you know, our uh one of our wingers is kind of the highest distance covered every week, but like he presses nonstop. Right. So like he's pressing out of position because, you know, he's maybe not getting the support from behind and then he's having to sprint to get back in as well. So like his numbers just blow everyone else away, um, week on week. And that kind of alludes to the fact that you said like, you know, if people are current like constantly out of position, then, they're going to be sprinting a lot, whereas if they're in position, they can jog, walk to kind of be there, you know, constantly in the right shape, in the right formation uh, with or without the ball. But you kind of talked about um, work rates, um, kind of touch a little bit on kind of the difference in like high speed runs uh, and sprints and how we define that at Titan, um,
1: how it is defined and, and maybe how it occurs in games. Yeah, so there's a lot of um, information in terms of that we provide here at Titan with the uh, speed zone information. Um, and so with uh, with that being said, um, you know, you get information on how much distance you cover at a certain speed, right? But also about how much time you spend in those speed bands or those speed zones. Um, everyone calls it something different, but we call it speed zones um, here at Titan. And so um, from the teams that I work with personally um, what they look at the most is is high kind of how much speed you're covering or how sorry let me rephrase that how high of a speed you're going and how much distance you're covering at that high speed um, and repeatedly how much do you do that um, and so being able to gauge okay as the game's going on you know when does it start to drop off a little bit right and that's why kind of the real time is is uh, real important sometimes and, and really beneficial for. For uh, coaches because being able to monitor that uh, can give you a sense of okay um, he's basically got no gas left in the tank and he might need to come off soon so um, but the speed zone information is definitely especially you know being able to see um, how much uh, distance was covered at the highest speed um, and repeatedly how much do they do that how much time do they spend in those speed zones Um, that's the most important right Um, for me I think um, based off of information that I've gotten from, from uh, again, the teams that we work with, this is one of the most important metrics, especially in, in soccer in and yeah. football. Um, and this is something that a lot of uh, kind of sports scientists uh, look for. It's one of the first things that they want to generate a report of um, after a training session, especially after a game.
0: Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of studies out there that most people don't, you know, get to their maximum speed throughout a game and it can take you know 30 to 40 yard sprints right to get to get to that that full you know potential of a sprint um and obviously there's been a lot of questions in like sprint training and the best way to train for sprints is to sprint uh a lot of people are you know you don't say yeah exactly no uh no kidding but um you know a lot of people just underestimate that I think Uh, don't really realize that you know go out and do five ten sprints to train to be faster in a game right (laughs) like that's kind of gone a little bit Um, maybe it's a bit of the weight room mentality or whatever but um, I think you know for us we're kind of quantifying and you've kind of seen here top speeds Uh, nice Chris to pull up one of my uh, performances there but yeah, let's talk about that before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, hey, we uh, we tied at the weekend, but it's okay. I uh, didn't play the, the most, uh, most minutes,
1: so. Speaking of... Uh... Like you alluded to, kind of the best way to, to be faster and to work on your your sprinting is uh, sprinting. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's a lot of sprint specific coaches. Yeah. Um. How how vital do you feel sprint specific coaches to an organization or even to you know a professional uh, athlete that's doing work in the off season?
0: Yeah, I think it can be massive. I I know of uh, several players, uh, you know, friends uh, that play you know back home and stuff that they've really changed the their game through you know working with sprint coaches um, even there's a club local to me that that have worked with you know uh, cross country and sprint coaches to kind of get a better understanding of their guys um, their top speed you know all those kind of things to get a better what they call a sprint profile right um, and they've seen great benefits you know they're finding last 30-40 minutes of the game, their guys have still got that extra sprint to you know make make it into the final third and maybe set up that goal, whereas other teams don't. Uh, so it can be hugely beneficial, especially you know things like sprint patterns, footwork um, that people have kind of worked on in the off season uh, can really bring a big impact. As you were saying, you know, coaches look for those those high speed uh, instances in a game.
1: For sure so what are the other two metrics we had in mind
0: um so i believe impacts right yep. um so uh an impact is kind of like it's it starts when um an acceleration uh, exceeds 7.5 g's right um, and then it, it it tracks until you break that 2g threshold um so uh, impact count for example during a game is how many impacts did you take that you know was an instance where it was above 7.5 G's and then broke through to two um, and that's just a basic kind of count um, and then kind of the you know impact duration can look at you know how long the impact lasted um, so you know Things in in rugby, right? When you're rucking or you have a maul or something like that, um, then that impact is obviously going to last longer than you know someone taking a tap tackle or, uh, hitting the ground or something like that, right? Um, so those are the key kind of things. Is is the duration and how hard uh of an impact they're taking? Uh, those are kind of the key measurements they're going to look out for in rugby, um, and obviously you know, uh, guys who are injured will. Be able to take a lot less or you know or maybe aren't at full recovery will be able to take a lot less and there's been a lot of talk in rugby about whether there should be contact practices or non-contact practices um, and that's I mean we'll uh, definitely get some rugby coaches on here to to kind of talk us through a bit more of how they're using it um, to, to monitor
1: those kind of things i'd love to see i'd love to see how they track like thresholds like yeah impact thresholds for certain players you know yeah the
0: rugby exactly. guys are massive yeah and then obviously positionally as well right because right. you you then get guys that are built a little bit more like soccer players who are playing play in the back and you know they're still taking hits they have to huge be the fast guys. ones right yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Um, you have to be smart as well <laughs> make sure you stay away from those impacts so uh, yeah, no, definitely it, it'd be interesting to kind of hear their take on, on that side of things.
1: All right. And I think the last one to wrap it up is the all kind of uh, the most famous one, training load. Um, yeah. So talk about training load a little bit. What um, to you kind of in the simplest terms or what's your personal definition of training load? Um, so when I was coaching,
0: you know, Training load comes down to periodization, right? Like at the end of the day, it's a lot, plays hand in hand. Um, For me, you know, we talk about high load um, during a a week of of, uh, game day, probably not a good idea, right? Um, So low load, uh, intensity, we've got to look at as well. Something we've got to track, you know, how hard are the sessions as well as how long are they? you know, um, which obviously can be tracked through speed zones, work rates, things like that. Um, for me, with loading, it's just knowing your players, knowing how much um, they can, you know, take um, through a week uh, of, of game day. And coaches can look at charts um, through GPS sensors and, and manipulate the data to, to know when to pull a player. Um, obviously, if you've got real time, you can look at maybe put a cap on distance throughout a session and say hey once you hit this death this distance today we're pulling you
1: um and and so on and so forth Yep, yeah, really good insight uh from the collegiate level uh for me just from the coaching high school a bit uh, coached at the uh, youth academy level as well and so for us it was more um they are two different scenarios because high school season is very short but a lot of games um, sometimes up to three games a week um, and so you have to be really strategic about kind of how you train um, and, and really making sure that you don't have a hot those high spikes you know for example two in training load two days before a really important district game for example um, at the academy level is a little bit different because the games are kind of spread out more um, as well as just you know, you train uh, four times a week um, and sometimes some days were more kind of core gym sessions, uh, lower body. Um, it's not as much running. It was more kind of just working on uh, a little bit things, you know, the position specific, right? Um, and to me, training load is really, you know, you don't need to be, um, you don't need to have an extensive background in any type of science to really understand it at the most basic level, right? Obviously, uh, I'm not going to claim to know more than a sports scientist at the Premier League, because obviously, right, there's a reason they're there. But um, I think at the simplest terms, training load is just being able to take into consideration kind of the workload that you're putting on your players throughout yeah. the week um, and just you know at the end of the day you want them to be fresh and 100% for game day yeah. right um, so just making sure that you don't have those high spikes you know over 10% and kind of per day um, and you should be good
0: yeah sounds good so uh, next week on Titan Radio we'll have our
1: first call-in uh, looking forward to that Chris maybe you can just sign us off here yeah Stay tuned. Uh, really happy to get the second one out the way. Hopefully, we're not as awkward for the third one. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll let the caller do most of the talking. Yeah, exactly. They'll be more of a natural than us. All right, guys. Uh, Chris Peralta signing off here with uh, Rory Anton. Uh, make sure to follow us uh, on Instagram at Titan Sensor and Twitter. What's our Twitter, Rory? @TitanSensor